Hello, friends. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving episode of Here's Where It Gets Interesting. I am so excited that you're tuning in today. And we're going to step away from our series on First Ladies, but we are not going too far. Most of us know that the Thanksgiving holiday has been traditionally celebrated by gathering with family and friends around a large feast. Maybe there's some sports ball involved and a big parade. But as with all traditions, Thanksgiving has taken a long time to evolve into its current state of celebration. So let's dive in. Let's talk about when and how it actually became a federally acknowledged holiday. And just for fun, we'll take a look at some of the ways Thanksgiving has been celebrated in the White House over the years. Spoiler alert, there's a raccoon involved. I'm Sharon McMahon, and here's where it gets interesting. Today, we're going to skip the deep dive into the earliest origins of what we often call the first Thanksgiving. During the 1600s, the relationship between colonists and indigenous tribes was full of tension and complexity as settlers began to take native land for their own agricultural uses. It is much too nuanced to be summarized by the supposed sharing of a harvest meal. We do know that there wasn't just one shared feast like we often learn in schools. Autumn festivals were held yearly in many different settlements along the colonies to celebrate a bountiful harvest. And this was not a unique practice that was brought to America by European settlers. Indigenous tribes had long held their own harvest ceremonies and rituals. The practice of observing a day of gratitude continued sporadically for the next 100 plus years. In 1789, a man named Elias Boudinot, who was a member of the House of Representatives from Massachusetts, advocated that a day of Thanksgiving be held to thank God for giving the American people the opportunity to create a constitution to preserve their hard-won freedoms. And a congressional joint committee approved Elias's motion. In October, George Washington made the proclamation that the people of the United States would observe a day of public thanksgiving and prayer later that fall, on Thursday, November 26th. But the holiday was still a far cry from the annual federal holiday it is today. Though, isn't it interesting that in its earliest cohesive observation, the celebration was meant to appreciate not a bountiful table, but the freedoms of a newly formed democracy. The next few presidents, John Adams, James Madison, and James Monroe, all followed in Washington's footsteps and declared a day of Thanksgiving during their terms in office. Thomas Jefferson, however, did not comply. He believed it was a conflict of church and state to require the American people hold a day of prayer and Thanksgiving, and so he simply chose to not make it a thing. The habit lost traction, and no other president brought up a recognized day of thanks until President Abraham Lincoln did so in 1862. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Most of the credit for the establishment of a nationally celebrated Thanksgiving holiday can be given to one person, a woman named Sarah Hale. Sarah was a magazine editor who began a campaign in 1827 to formally recognize Thanksgiving as a holiday. She published stories and recipes about how to celebrate a national day of gratitude, and she wrote hundreds of letters to anyone she thought would have some sway in the matter. Governors, senators, multiple presidents. But Sarah Hale wasn't just a small-time editor who bothered politicians with her relentless idea about Thanksgiving. She was one of the most influential women of the 19th century, the Anna Winter of her time. She was born on a small New Hampshire farm in 1788, and her mother gave her basic schooling, but it was her older brother, Horatio, who guided her education beyond writing and needlepoint. Her brother was a student at Dartmouth, and he shared his books and class subjects with her so that she could learn at an Ivy League level. Sarah was teaching in a local school when she married a young lawyer named David Hale. David was Sarah's love match, and he encouraged her to pursue her passions, especially writing. And together with a circle of friends from David's Freemason Lodge, they started a small literary club. Sadly, David died after suffering from pneumonia in 1822, just nine years into their marriage. So Sarah found herself a widow at age 34 with five young children to support. The couple's tight-knit group of friends came through for Sarah, and they helped her set up a millinery business that would give her a way to independently support herself and her children. There, she and her sister-in-law made and sold hats together. Arguably, though, it's what happened next that changed the course of Sarah's life. The same supportive family friends pooled their money together to get one of Sarah's little books of poems published. The volume of poetry was pretty successful, enough so that it allowed Sarah to take a break from her millinery business and concentrate on writing. 
She wrote a novel called Northwood, which was one of the first novels that wrote directly about the question of slavery in America. It supported the Back to Africa movement, a movement that sought to free enslaved people and give them passage back to their countries of origin. The movement did not catch on. Most enslaved people did not want to resettle back in Africa, but it was a fairly well-known early emancipation strategy considered by abolitionists. You can still read Northwood, by the way. The novel is in the public domain, and there are a number of places online where you can read it in its entirety if you want to. Northwood was popular and had gained the attention of the Reverend John Blake, an Episcopal minister and headmaster of the Cornhill School for Young Ladies. Blake was starting a new ladies magazine in Boston, and he asked Sarah to serve as its editor. Sarah accepted his offer and moved from her home in New Hampshire to Boston in 1827. Of note, however, is that Sarah left behind four of her five children. And while she continued to visit and support them financially, they were raised by family members in New Hampshire. As editor of John Blake's ladies magazine, Sarah began writing most of the material for each issue herself. She was a very versatile writer, and she tackled everything from book reviews, sketches of American life, fashion advice, persuasive essays, and poetry, and she did not shy away from sharing her opinions. She regularly impressed upon her readers the importance of women's education. She stopped short of considering herself a supporter of women's equal political involvement, but she firmly believed women should be allowed to work toward their own economic independence. In 1837, Louis Godey bought Ladies Magazine and changed its name to Godey's Ladies Book. Sarah remained on as an editor for another 30 years, and during that time she grew hugely influential as an arbiter of good taste and manners. She had a keen eye for discovering writing talent and often published pieces by emerging American writers like Harriet Beecher Stowe, Lucretia Mott, Susan B. Anthony, as well as Edgar Allan Poe, Henry David Longfellow, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Nathaniel Hawthorne. She also continued to publish her own work, including a small volume of poetry that contained her most famous piece, a verse you have likely had memorized since childhood. And the poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb. (laughs) So your new party fact is, the woman who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb is also responsible for turning Thanksgiving into a national holiday. For 36 years, Sarah persisted in writing regular letters to influential leaders and every U.S. president with her one request that the last Thursday in November be set aside to, she wrote, offer to God our tribute of joy and gratitude for the blessings of the year. And on October 3rd, 1863, Sarah Hale finally got her holiday. With his spirits high after the Union victory at Gettysburg, President Lincoln issued a proclamation declaring that the last Thursday of November shall be National Thanksgiving Day. He ordered all government offices in Washington to be closed in observance. 
President Lincoln and his son Tad, who was 12 at the time, are also credited with the first turkey pardon, also in 1863, even though it was originally done for the Christmas holiday. A reporter later said that a live turkey had been brought home for the Christmas dinner, but Tad interceded on behalf of its life, and his plea was admitted and the turkey's life spared. However, the practice of unofficial turkey pardon didn't begin until much, much later. Most presidents spent their time in office graciously accepting their Thanksgiving turkeys and roasting them up for dinner. Private American citizens began gifting turkeys to U.S. presidents as far back as 1873 when the poultry king of Rhode Island, a man named Horace Vance, began selecting his choicest birds and sending them to the White House. Vance continued this tradition, sending turkeys for both Thanksgiving and Christmas, for nearly 40 years until his death in 1913. For the next three decades, people from all over the country began to step in and fill Horace Vance's shoes. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast, and I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? Guess what? You can. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best instructors. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes. You can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible. And then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon. Masterclass.com slash Sharon. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up by the door of your house, and then when people come over, they're like, um, your house smells weird. There's a solution for that, and it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant. It is taking care of the smell at the source by using Lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet. It is a whole body deodorant. It is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality, you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, 
new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code SHARON. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress in our life. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. It's just part of the human experience. But some of us have more than others, and some of us handle it better than others. Some of us really keep it bottled up, and it can start to affect us negatively. I would imagine at some point in your life, you can relate to this, right? And therapy is a safe space to be able to get some of these things off your chest. And that is why so many people find benefit in speaking to a qualified professional. If you're thinking about starting therapy for something like managing your stress, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sharon. In 1922, during President Warren G. Harding's last Thanksgiving at the White House, the Harding Girls Club of Chicago fattened up a turkey on a diet of chocolate and sent it on a road trip from Illinois to Washington, D.C. Here is something that I found very amusing. There was a club called the Harding Girls Club, and it is not actually a club of children. It is a club of adult women, and we know this because they posed for press pictures. And one of the things that they did was send turkeys to the president wherever he was. One year, the president was on his way to Panama to visit the Panama Canal, and they sent a turkey named John Gobbler. The next year, the turkey flew on a plane with a military guard wearing an aviator costume, including a helmet, goggles, and a sweater coat. And in another year, they fattened a turkey up on chocolate and then made arrangements for the turkey to travel by train to Washington, D.C. And Mrs. Harding, Warren Harding's wife, was going to personally pick up this turkey that had been transported all the way across the country via train because that's how fun this tradition had become. The turkey on the train traveled more than 800 miles in under two days, and it made front-page news all over the country. A newspaper in Atlanta noted that the turkey had traveled comfortably in a motor coat that was made especially for him and an extra-large cage suspended by and set on springs to prevent too much shake-up on the trip. You would not want the turkey to arrive shaken. (laughs) And the next year, when President Calvin Coolidge took office... He pleaded for people to stop the practice of sending turkeys to the White House. But the Thanksgiving poultry kept showing up, and things started to get weird. In 1926, President Calvin Coolidge received his most unusual Thanksgiving meal option from a supporter in Mississippi. 
it was a raccoon. And needless to say, the Coolidges declined to dine on roasted raccoon for their Thanksgiving dinner. Instead, they named the raccoon Rebecca, and they kept her as a family pet. For Christmas that year, President Coolidge had a custom collar made for her with the words White House Raccoon embroidered on it. (laughs) And it didn't stop there. The family kept Rebecca for the rest of their tenure in the White House, and they eventually gave her a playmate named Reuben. So the Coolidges had two raccoons in the White House, and they shared a custom-built treehouse together on the White House grounds. And if you think a pair of raccoons is the kookiest of White House pets, just wait until we talk about the Hoovers. But let's leave that surprise for another episode. Only Twice since Lincoln declared Thanksgiving an official holiday has a president changed the day of observation. In order to give Depression-era merchants more opportunity to make sales before Christmas, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt bumped up the observance of Thanksgiving to the third Thursday in November in both 1939 and 1940. The change was short-lived after some states decided to adopt Roosevelt's date change and others didn't. Citizens complained that the date confusion interfered with popular Thanksgiving Day events like football games and parades. And by the time Thanksgiving came around in 1941, a congressional joint resolution declared the fourth Thursday of November as the official date of Thanksgiving, and Roosevelt signed it. A few years later, in 1947, the National Turkey Federation cleared up the rules around another holiday tradition. Gone were the days of unsolicited live turkeys showing up at the White House from well-meaning people. The National Turkey Federation took on the role of the official turkey supplier to the president, and that year they delivered a whopping 47-pound bird to Harry Truman in time for the president's Christmas dinner. Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week, and it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try one skin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code Sharon. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. To celebrate the National Turkey Federation's new partnership, the White House held a turkey receiving ceremony in the Rose Garden, a tradition that has continued ever since. The photos that circulate every year of the president with a turkey, those are far more likely to be from this turkey receiving ceremony than from the pardoning tradition, which didn't become an annual tradition until 1989 after President George H.W. Bush remarked, Reprieve. Keep him going. Or pardon. It's all the same for the turkey as long as he doesn't end up on the president's holiday table. Before that, President John F. Kennedy pardoned a turkey meant for his table in 1963. And some of his successors did the same, but only occasionally. It was President George H.W. Bush who made it a yearly holiday tradition by pardoning every single turkey during his administration. So I hate to say it, but historically, turkeys were much more likely to end up on a White House dining table than in an easy retirement on a farm. During President Truman's fourth holiday season in the White House, he said he would take the National Turkey Federation's gifted turkey home with him to Independence, Missouri, where his many relatives required a lot to eat. The public was not entirely happy with Truman's admission that he was going to serve turkey for his holiday meal. And that's because the Truman administration, in an effort to conserve grain that would aid Europe in its recovery from World War II, began promoting meatless Tuesdays and poultryless Thursdays in the early fall of 1947. It was not a popular initiative. The restrictions were not mandatory, but they were definitely encouraged. And the National Poultry and Egg Board took a particular offense to the campaign for Meatless Mondays and Poultryless Thursdays. They felt like it was a personal attack on their industry and that Poultryless Thursdays would literally take Thanksgiving Thursdays off the table. 
To make matters worse, in 1947, both Christmas and New Year's Day also landed on Thursdays. So a bargain was struck in November, right before the Thanksgiving holiday. The administration swapped out poultryless Thursdays for eggless Thursdays. It wasn't ideal, and many homes wondered what they would serve in place of pumpkin pie, which is made with eggs and now on the forbidden foods list. The initiative was gone long before Thanksgiving rolled around again in 1948. Americans do not like being told what to eat. Have you noticed this? They really do not. (laughs) But we cannot close out this Thanksgiving episode without first talking about the woman who was possibly America's thriftiest first lady. In 1953, when Dwight Eisenhower took office, Mamie Eisenhower took over the role of first lady. And she was given complete control over the finances and scheduling of the home. Mamie did not mess around. She was known to routinely spend time clipping coupons to give to her staff before they did the shopping. It's difficult to imagine a modern first lady clipping coupons, is it not? Do we think about Melania Trump or Michelle Obama, Jill Biden, like looking through the Sunday paper to clip coupons? I can't say that I've ever entertained that thought. (laughs) Mamie was relatable. Housewives around the country appreciated her capacity to decorate and throw a dinner party on a budget. And even by her first Thanksgiving in the White House, she had the eyes and ears of America, and they went crazy for one thing. Mamie's recipe for pumpkin chiffon pie. The White House got so many letters asking after Mamie's deviation from the traditional recipe that she directed her social secretary to respond to each one by supplying a copy of the recipe. Instead of the usual custard-based pie, Mamie's recipe calls for a ubiquitous post-war food additive to stabilize it, gelatin. The pie can't really be considered a low-calorie alternative, but it was a hit because it was a lighter texture on the tongue. And without fail, newspapers and magazines across the country reprinted the recipe every Thanksgiving. The Associated Press's food editor gushed that our tasters, finishing their last mouthfuls with blissful satisfaction, declared it the very best of its kind. And for six out of eight Thanksgivings during her tenure as First Lady, Mamie spent the holiday at the Eisenhower's personal retreat, a tidy home dubbed Mamie's Cabin on the grounds of the Augusta National Golf Course in Georgia. There, the president liked to indulge in his love of golf and began a yearly Thanksgiving morning tradition of quail hunting. But in 1957, President Eisenhower suffered a small stroke three days before Thanksgiving, and the country held its breath, waiting to see what condition his health was in. The White House had reported that it was mild, but no one knew if they were downplaying the severity of it. On Thanksgiving morning, as the First Lady's limousine pulled up to the National Presbyterian Church for service, she and President Eisenhower entered the church together, prompting the waiting crowd to clap and cheer that he was up and about. And that afternoon, Mamie became the very first first lady to accept the traditional gift of the National Turkey Federation's turkey that was presented to the presidential family in the Rose Garden. 
In the last half of Eisenhower's second term in office, November of 1959, Agricultural Secretary Arthur Fleming sounded the alarm that small traces of a carcinogen had been found in a batch of cranberries, and in doing so, he set off a national cranberry crisis. When the press asked Fleming if he would recommend that people skip the cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving, he said, if I was a mother and feeding children at home, I would pass on the cranberries this year. So people panicked and grocery stores pulled all cranberry-based products off their shelves. The city of Chicago outright banned the sale of cranberries. No one was messing around. Not even Mamie Eisenhower. It was the famous movie actress Rosalind Russell who shared the holiday meal with the first couple that November and let it slip that Mamie had cautiously decided to serve applesauce instead of the traditional cranberry sauce. And after that, cranberries didn't see the inside of anyone's saucepans that Christmas either. But don't worry. Cranberries recovered, everyone. Cranberries are safe. If you haven't shopped for your cranberries yet, there will be ample bags of cranberries and cans of cranberries on the shelves. You won't harm yourself or your family today if you serve cranberries for Thanksgiving. If you're still a cranberry sauce naysayer, though, serve applesauce with your turkey instead, just like Mamie Eisenhower did. What is more patriotic than that? Thank you so much for listening today while you prepare food to share or travel to visit your family. I am honored to be a part of your holiday routine. I am thankful for you. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Here's Where It Gets Interesting. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving us a rating or a review or sharing a link to it on your social media? All of those things help podcasters out so much. Here's Where It Gets Interesting is written and researched by executive producer Heather Jackson. Our audio engineer is Jenny Snyder, and it's hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. We'll see you again soon.